Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Chuck, I'm so grateful that you're happy to be in the house of the Lord. Let's try this again. Maybe others will join in with you. Let's see how this goes. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now we're getting there. Right? What an opportunity we had to experience uh, the presence of the Lord in our worship time. And so grateful for the Connors being here this morning and sharing their heart uh, and, and being obedient to saying yes. Right? And when you, we say yes, we never know sometimes what's on the other side of that obedience. And so just by saying, hey, someone having the faith to say, hey, will you come to church with me? Yes. Right? On the other side of that yes is, a, is, is transformation in an entire family. Right? I think about Pastor Angel when she said, hey, I'm going to have to break up with you if you don't come to church with me. And I was like, that sounds dumb. I'll go to church. Right? And because... Uh, you're welcome. Right. Of course I want to say yes, right? And, uh, and then look what God's able to do. And so, man, I would just, whatever God is asking of you, right, just be willing, willing to say yes. Uh, if we have that not had the privilege of meeting you yet, my name is Lance, and along with my wife, Angel, uh, just so you know, when like, I'm like, my wife, this is my wife, all right? And so um, we have the privilege of being the co-lead pastors here at RLC, and we welcome you, and uh, thanks for being in person, and thank you for joining online as well. If you're joining us online, man, go ahead, do us a favor, log in. Uh, you can create a username, uh, even if it's fake, that's fine. Um, but it's just an opportunity for us to connect with you because we're here, and an, uh, our heart is that we would take in this, these moments to be able to grow together, uh, whether we're in person or online. Hey, last week we started a brand new sermon series uh, from the book of Philippians, and uh, we're going to be kicking, or kicking off, but jumping into week two. Last week when we started, we, we said, man, how do we find joy in the journey, right? How do we find joy in the journey? And today we're going to be looking at how do we gain uh, perspective through our pain, right? How do we gain a proper perspective through our pain. So I need you to do some, do me a favor this morning. Uh, for those of you who maybe have a little trouble seeing and you have your spectacles on this morning, would you do me a favor and would you just take those off? All right. You're like, wow, you look a lot better, Pastor Lance. Zip it. All right. Uh, for those of you who still have great vision, do me a favor and squint so you can barely see. Now, just for a moment, look around the room. Right. Analyze in your mind, hey, what am I seeing? What do I, you know, like it's all blurry. Everybody's a little fuzzy. All right. This is what I need you to do. Go ahead. Open your eyes fully. For those of you with glasses, put them back on. And now look around the room again. What do you see? You're like, oh, right? I can see clearly. And sometimes you gain a new perspective when you can see clearly. Right? You gain a new perspective when you can see clearly. This morning, I'm a data guy. I love stats. And so I want to give you some data. I want to give you some stats uh, from a magazine article. And in some of these stats, you're going to be like, whoa, this is, this is a little alarming. But I want, you to, I want you to track with me for a moment. 75% of young men, 25 and under, suffer from a health deficit included um, or induced by mental anxiety. The FBI had, has reported that the average age of criminals is 19. Estimates of abortion and STDs are the highest of any generation. 80% of young men and 60% of young women report having engaged in premarital sex. Marriages are four times more likely to end in divorce than 50 years prior. 
Another study concluded that marijuana and other mind-altering drugs are now being peddled to thousands of young people in almost every school, every town, and every city in our country. The president of a major university said that every day uh, in their school newspaper that there's a report of one more grave crime after another, one more social crisis after another. One, one gentleman, a journalist, traveled 10,000 miles across America to study the country's youth, and he concluded this, that the majority of our youth are confused, disillusioned, and disenchanted. Now, when you hear that, how many of you feel like, man, we have a, maybe we have a big problem on our hands? What if I told you this morning that that news article that I just read, read to you from was from a newspaper from 1936? Gain a little bit different perspective, doesn't it? Like, oh yeah, those sound horrible. Those from 1936. Uh, the media and sociologists uh, from that, that time period called that generation that was alive during that time frame the lost generation. 60 years later, Tom Brokaw, I'm not going to ask you how many have you ever heard of Tom Brokaw, because he, I mean, he's, he's a hip, he's like a, he's an influencer, he's a YouTuber, okay? And uh, so Tom Brokaw, 60 years later, said that they are the greatest generation. They've survived the Great Depression, they won World War II, they have provided decades of outstanding leaders and statesmen, that they're known as a generation with a can-do spirit. This was his quote. This was the greatest generation any society has ever produced. So, so how is it possible that you are labeled the lost generation and the greatest generation? It's all about your perspective. So let's dive into the word this morning, shall we? I'm going to put my watch down. It's blowing up, and I don't want to be distracted by it. So whatever is happening in the world right now, my watch wants, and I, I'm just going to have a moment of transparency before we dive into the word. I want to keep my watch on because I feel like as I move, I'm getting my steps in. So I'm getting cheated this morning, suffering for Jesus. Wait, it's just real talk. Just in case it's something important, did the Browns trade Baker yet? Is that what's happening? Um, okay, okay wait, back to reality, back to the message. Okay, just checking, <laughs> just checking. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 for just a second. But to just give you some context of that, Paul is writing this letter while he is in prison, literally strapped and shackled to guards and to the ground. He is living his worst day, okay? And so here we go, picking up at that moment. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And let's pause there for just a, me just a minute because there is this worldly concept that has crept its way into the church. Is this false teaching that like if you are living for Jesus, you are not going to have problems. Life is going to be good. The world is all as, you know, it's going to be all as it should be. You're going to have this cakewalk and that, you know, if there is really a problem in your life, you need to check your spiritual life. You should check your heart. Where is there sin in your life? And let me just tell you, let's address that big old elephant in the room. That is a lie from the pits of hell. So let's just put that in its proper place. That is so wrong. Paul is here in prison, loving Jesus, willing to do whatever it takes to see the gospel advanced, and his life is literally being torn apart. This is a guy who up until the point of following Jesus really had a silver, silver spoon in his mouth. 
He was in charge. He was respected. He was educated. And for the first time probably in his life, he is truly suffering. And so we need to understand that the existence or non-existence of problems in our life is not a sign of spiritual maturity. And can I just be so bold as to say, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with you. Paul in this moment is being vulnerable and he's being honest and he wasn't hiding what was happening. He sat there and he wrote and he says, I am in chains. I am in chains. He was letting the whole world know I am suffering. I am struggling. This is not easy for me. And it makes me want to ask the question this morning, why do we hide from that? What is our fear in being vulnerable? What is our fear in being honest to say, yeah, I'm struggling? I'm walking a dark path. I don't know why this is happening in my world. Is it because we're afraid of shame or judgment? And yet we know Jesus, of all people, he experienced some hardship. I mean, here he is trying to take a nap in a boat on some ocean or lake water that he created, and he's sleeping, and some of his best friends who have already witnessed him do some pretty incredible things are like, are you going to get up and help us? Don't you even care if we die? I think that's a hard day for Jesus. Like, okay, calm down, right? What do you mean, don't you care if I die? But here he is having to deal with difficult people all the time. Anybody else relate? Don't put your hand up. But Jesus, the Son of Man, also had problems in his life, dealing with people, dealing with situations. He sat at the Last Supper with Judas at his side, knowing he was getting ready to be betrayed. In some of his final days, he sat there with some of his friends who would, instead of like trying to have some time with him and trying to learn and glean from him, their perspective and their conversation was like, who's going to be the greatest in heaven? Sure hope it's me. Like These are the people that he's walking around dealing with as he's getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, agonize, pray for you and I, pray for God's will, and go to the cross and die a death that none of us ever want to even think about. He knew what the world was going to be like for us. Jesus knew. He walked in this world of pain and suffering, but he also knew and gave us so much scripture to lean on. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble, not it might look like trouble, not like it might get difficult from time to time. He's saying, you will, you can be assured, get ready for it. You will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He knew that the world was so much like Oprah that it'd be like, and you get a problem, and you get a problem, and you get a problem. And I'm like, give me a car, okay? But he knew it, and he set us up, and he prepared us for it. And we need to get out of the mindset that if we are spiritually mature, that we're going to have this perfect cakewalk in life. I know that when I am spiritually at my best and my husband is spiritually at his best, it does make it better. It helps. There is promise in that. There's provision in that. We're not going to put that aside. Our lives are more unified. They walk together more in harmony when we're both in tune with the Holy Spirit and walking in alignment with Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, I've got my own perspective. I've got my own way of viewing things. I've got my own likes. I've got my own preferences the same way he does. He could eat Chipotle and Bibimbap every day and be fine for the rest of his life. I like it. I I don't want to eat the same thing over and over again. Like if I have Chipotle, I don't want to have it again for at least two months. It's just how I sit in life. Some of you are offended. And I'd like to say, do you stand up for the word of God with that offense? Okay. All right. No, I'm just going to move on. But the truth is, There are, we've got people ready to fight me. If you're watching online, 
I invite you to take a moment, pray for my safety uh, while I'm in chains preaching the word of God. No. <laughs> no, the truth is we do. We have our own preferences. We have our own way of doing things. We have our own likes. It doesn't have to just stop there. We can be unified in that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how unified we are, how much like Christ we are, we experience diagnoses, we experience disappointment, we experience bearing the weight of other people's mistakes, we experience bearing the weight of what's happened in our families, in our circumstances, our own failures, and the things that the world just brings. We're still two people trying to get it right, trying to walk in the light of Jesus Christ, Pain will come. Suffering will come. We all have problems, but there is a way out. There is. And I, I love that God has a wonderful sense of humor. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny uh, that I eat Chipotle for lunch and dinner six days in a row. I can neither confirm nor deny that. That was years ago. I've been delivered. It's okay. Okay. I've been, I've been to counseling. I've walked through the treatment. It's okay. Uh, but here's how funny that I believe God is, because um, it was just a few weeks ago that I got a phone call and uh, somebody, uh, a random donor, uh, donated a stock to the church. Uh, do you know what stock that was? Chipotle. I was like, come on! I was like, do we get to cash this in for burritos? Like, what are we talking here? Uh, but I love the heart of your generosity, so thank you. And I love that God has a sense of humor. So we're all going to walk through those trials. We're all going to walk through struggles in our life. But how do, we, how do we gain a proper perspective or maybe a new perspective through the pain? And the first thing, if you're taking notes, is by understanding that our spiritual maturity is measured by our response to our problems, not the absence of those problems, right? right? Like, what, if, what, if, what about our response? How do we respond with what we walk through? How did Paul respond, right? Everything points back to Scripture. So Paul, in this moment, wrapped in chains, how did he respond? He could have complained. He could have argued. He could have whined. He could have, he could have given God some choice words, like, why am I here? Why, why do I find myself in this place? Yet he had a different perspective. He says, because this happened, what did he say? The gospel is advancing. Because of the chains, because of the pain, because of what I'm walking through, look at the results. Look at the outcome. The gospel is advancing. What was he doing? He was finding some good in the midst of the bad. Right? He, he was looking for, like, man, there's some hope, there's some glimmer in this life because God's using this pain for a different purpose. But hear me on this. I'm not diminishing, and by no means am I diminishing the pain that you have or are walking or will walk through. It's not saying it's, it's not going to hurt. It's going to hurt. And I'm not saying, like, your perspective through it isn't like, why is, why, why is this happening? I'm not, I'm not trying to tell you that that's wrong. I'm just saying that maybe when we walk through these types of trials, that we can, we can maybe put on the glasses and see a different perspective and be able to see things just a little bit more clearly. Paul was in prison, yet he saw something different, that the kingdom of God was advancing through his situation. So what kind of perspective are we going to have when we walk through it? How many of you, uh, how many of you are old enough to remember waterbeds? Right? Those, that was like... I think it's one of the most, the I'm so thankful that there what? is a young teenage boy in the back that raised his hand. And I was like, oh, thank God I'm not that old. So even if yeah. I really am that old, I am living my best life right now. Thank you. So my parents had a king size waterbed in their 10 by 10 bedroom. It was phenomenal. And, uh, but my brother and I thought it was the coolest thing because 
Like that's where we would practice our Hulk Hogan and our Randy Macho Man Savage moves and the ultimate warrior. Like, and so they had a dresser in front of it, but there was only about a six inch walkway to get through from the bed to the dresser. So I would put him on the dresser and then I would stand there and I would suplex him right onto that water bed because it would break the fall. Right? We're just kids doing kids' things, but it never, it never got a hole in it. I'm not sure why. There, there was a ceiling fan hanging there that was missing multiple bulbs and multiple blades, but we're not here to talk about that. But, but it was just, right, there's this concept. I will say, though, having an old-school waterbed, because we had one back in the day, man, you'd crank that thing up in the winter, and then you'd slide into those warm sheets like, ah, heaven. Uh, but, but it reminds me of a story of a, a young man who woke up one night. He had a waterbed, old-school waterbed. And he wakes up in the morning, he, and he all of a sudden, he's like, why are my, why are my shorts soaked? It's a waterbed. And so, so in his mind and in his heart, he's like, there's a problem. And so he looks for about five minutes, I don't see no hole, this thing's just garbage, we just need to get rid of it. So he drains it, takes it down, throws it away, removes the whole frame, then goes and buys a whole band, brand new bedroom set, puts it in his bedroom, new mattress, everything's great, and he wakes up the next morning, and his leg is wet again. Time for a new perspective. What's he do? It's no longer the bed's fault. He looks up. I have a leak in my roof. Right? There is a problem. But his problem was, I'm going to get rid of this problem. I'm going to throw the problem away instead of saying, man, what, how am I going to learn? How am I going to grow through what I'm walking through? How will I gain a new perspective through my problem? And with my problem. Let's start by asking a different question. Instead of asking why, let's start asking what. God, what is the next step? Jesus, what is the next thing for me? What do you want me to learn in this moment? Too many people get absorbed with that like why mentality. And I've been there too, like why me? Why now? Why is this happening? We've had so much going on. This is like, are we for real? Another thing? Anybody else been there before? If you do not raise your hand, you are lying up in church. Um, but we do. We get stuck in this why. Why is this happening? What is, what is going on? And the moment we begin comparing and, and asking those questions why, we, we start to struggle a little bit. And here's how I know. Because Paul could have said in that moment, shackled in chains, Lord, I know. I already heard about. I know how you delivered and rescued Peter. I'm very much aware of how you have helped other people through those certain times and situations. You got Peter out of prison. Why am I sitting here? But he didn't. Instead, he was in tune and in line with the Holy Spirit. And when we start asking that why, why me, why now, why is this happening to me? Here are the things. There's the fruit of it. You ready for it? Jealousy. Bitterness. Hatred. Frustration. Wrath doubt, unbelief, that's the fruit of it. Those are the things that come from a why because knowing the why will never change your current circumstance. It's not gonna change anything. I know we're all looking for someone to blame, an excuse for why we are how we are or why X, Y, or Z is happening in our lives. But the truth is the why doesn't matter. What is what matters? God, what do you have for me? And the what for Paul was, hey, in the midst of this, go ahead and write some letters and encourage other people. What? While I'm going through this, you want me to write letters, encourage other people? And Paul did. 
and he was faithful. And he encouraged the, the believers in his area. He encouraged the townsmen. And I can guarantee you that Paul was completely unaware that a couple thousand years later, it'd be an encouragement to us today. Instead of being stuck in a why, why me, he was able to walk out his what, even though he didn't know it, even though he didn't know what tomorrow would bring, even though he didn't know the future. Can you imagine if Paul has wasted his, had wasted his time in the why, what we would be missing today? That's good. What the advancement of the gospel would have suffered if he was more focused on the why me instead of the what's next, Lord? What leads you to victory and why will always lead you to defeat? Woo! Right? You need to take notes on that one, right? What will lead you to the victory, but why will always keep you in defeat? So how do we gain a new proper perspective? If you were taking notes, number three is this. Your pain may help others find purpose. And I know when I said that, and you heard it, and you began processing it, you went, but couldn't he use somebody else? Right? Couldn't he use anybody else? Couldn't he use, like, my sister or my brother instead of me? Couldn't he have used anyone else on planet Earth? Like, I'm all down for, like, people learning from others and us growing in our faith and maturing, but couldn't he have used somebody else? But again, it goes back to our text. What what does Paul have to say? And this is what he said in, in chapter 1, verse 14. He says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Right? So other people are now being influenced by Paul, as in the chains that I find myself stuck in are compelling others to have more of a boldness to their faith. And so now they are going out and using, using the gospel because of my chains. So they are finding this newfound purpose, this new hope in my pain and in my suffering. It goes on to say, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and, and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. For what does it matter? Right, I love Paul. He's, he's just like, hey, listen, some people are doing it the right way. Some people are doing it the wrong way. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, you hear Paul use these words again, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. Again, 16 times in the book of Philippians, you're going to hear this word joy or rejoice. It's a short book from prison, yet there's this joy, right? Because I think Paul was able to understand that there was a a different perspective we can gain when we are able to look and feel clearly and think clearly. Pain can cause you to reflect uh, and make new life choices, can pain do that sometimes? Where you begin to reflect and go, man, why, what, what am I experiencing and why am I experiencing this? And, and maybe I need to pivot. Maybe I need to shift. Maybe I need to, to turn my life and I'm going to, to make different choices. Pain also can deepen your compassion and empathy for others. Right? You, begin, you begin feeling maybe what they feel or you begin sensing maybe what, what they're able to see. Pain can awaken gratitude and appreciation for what you do have. Right? When things are taken away and stripped away, And then you begin being grateful for what you do have. Pain can move you to take action and confront injustice. 
I mentioned this in our first service, not my notes, but on Wednesday nights after church when, when grow groups are over, which you should sign up for if you're not in one, make sure you get in one. Um, but we, we will go home, we grab some food, and then we go into our basement, and uh, Kirsten is a Survivor nut, and so she's like, hey, we're going to watch Survivor, and so we watch Survivor together as a family. And uh, this past episode, at the end, there was some, there was some injustice. And so two young ladies were, were having conversation, and then they, be, they, they were really vulnerable on national TV. And they said, here's, here's where we're at. The, and it, you could look at it as coincidence, but for them, in their pain, it wasn't a coincidence. So the first two members of the jury were black, and the first two people that were next to be voted out were black. And they said, we're going to have to play our idols tonight because we need to stand up. We don't want to see a pattern continue and continue. And we can look back and be like, well, that's just, it's just coincidence. It's just the way to go. It's, it's bad gameplay. But for them, it was personal. And in the moment, one of the guys started talking, and I was like, no, just shut up. <laughs> like, don't, this is not the moment to talk. This is the moment to listen. Because just because it's not affecting you doesn't mean it's not affecting somebody else. And so there was a moment of injustice, and they were like, man. And I, it was in that moment where I was like, this, is, this, is, this could be where we learn from somebody else's pain. And maybe we can find purpose through that. Pain also will inspire you to seek out healthier habits and healthier relationships. Right? Pain, pain can do certain things to us that, that maybe we didn't even think was possible. I want you to think for a moment about support groups. People, people who run those groups have typically walked down those paths. Right? They've, they've led a journey, they've had a journey where they've experienced some type of pain and now they want to be in a room with people so that they can be able to share hope and love and go, I get it, I understand. Or maybe they, 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 made even, they, they travel even further down that road and they're like, man, I don't ever want to, want to see you go to where I went because I spent 10, 15 years of my life incarcerated because of the choices I made and I don't want to see you make those same choices for your life. And so they go back into those rooms and be able to bring hope Right, you think of, uh, uh, of individuals who struggle with drugs and they're meeting in a room, or you think about alcoholics or, or gamblers anonymous, or we have support groups for those who have walked through abuse or domestic violence. We have support groups for those who have survived cancer. Maybe a loved one has been taken and, and now there's camaraderie and unity and love when we gather together. There's groups for for those who've walked through an experience, someone maybe uh, who took their own life. We have veterans groups, right? I, 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 haven't, I didn't have the privilege of serving this great country, and, and so when I meet with veterans, I'm like, I wanna put you in a room with other veterans because they, they know what it was like. Why, because they walked in the, those shoes. And so now what are we able to do? We're able to gain some new perspective through our pain because we have an understanding that maybe somebody else will find purpose. Maybe somebody else will find hope. But that's what happens when we allow ourselves to gain a new perspective through our pain. Next, we could find the good to celebrate. And intentionally, I use the word find because we know when we're all walking through something that hurts, that's painful, that's frustrating, we pick up on every little annoying and frustrating thing that's happening in our life. It's what we do naturally. So can I encourage you to find the good to celebrate? For Paul, he found that in knowing that the gospel was being advanced, that the gospel was being preached like it had never before. And in the midst of darkness, can we keep the light on? 
in the midst of our darkest moments, could we keep the light on? Because one thing is sure, between now and next Sunday, there's going to be a problem that happens in your life. I'm not being negative. Facts are facts, people. It is what it is. We live in a fallen world. We work with people. We love people. We are in relationship. And so things go sour because we're all kind of messed up outside of Jesus, right? And even in the love and the, in the grace of God, we're all getting it wrong. So problems happen naturally in our life, but we've got to be able to praise in the midst of darkness, to set our focus on what God is doing in each and every moment, how God is working in our lives, how he could be moving. Look for the things. Sometimes it's like, I just love the sound of a baby's laughter. If nothing else is right in the world, the giggles and the sweetness and the freedom. If nothing else is right in the world, God, I praise you for who you are because you don't fail me. You are holy and you are good and you don't make mistakes even when I do because praise always sets our heart on the answer and not the problem. We've got to be willing to call out who Christ is, the good in our life, finding the joy of what he is doing. Paul knew that he could rejoice no matter what because he knew who Jesus was. He knew who he was. When they tried to shut him down for preaching the gospel, he sat in there locked up in chains like, that's right, and the gospel's being advanced. Like, he could praise for that. It doesn't matter that I'm in chains. The gospel is going out. My mission is still being accomplished. I could feel sorry for myself, and I'm sure that he, he struggled and there was pain there. But instead of focusing that, on that solely, he was able to lift up the name of Jesus. So in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, he says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or, my, or if I die. He is saying that my problem is going to advance the gospel. I've got a reason to celebrate. And he says it's for God's deliverance, which is also translated for my best. Paul knew that this is my problem. And it's just a problem, but it's not going to stay in the problem. My best is yet to come. My hope is yet to come. My victory is in Christ. I might be in a problem, but I am not a problem. I might be walking through difficult times, but the, the road down the, the road ahead is going to be filled with hope and peace and purpose. That's right. He knew that God had a way, and he was able to celebrate, even though the circumstances in his life did not lend itself that way. So how do we gain a new perspective through the pain uh, by understanding that a setback is a setup for a comeback, right? A setback is a setup for a comeback. Paul could have said, I'm in prison. That's it. That's where I've landed. This is, this is it. This is where ministry ends. Like, God, I know what you've called me to. I know, I know how you delivered me. I know, I know I went through this name change, and now I'm supposed to spread the gospel, but it looks like you have different plans, and so here we are, and I'm done. But he didn't. Right? He says, no, this is a, a momentary setback. I've come to preach, and maybe I'm not in person, but I'm still going to preach. I'm going to pen these letters under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I'm still going to share the gospel from a jail cell. And if I can find Jesus in a jail cell, then you can find Jesus wherever you're at. And so he's, he's using this as a comeback moment. Right, this adversity moment is allowing the gospel to go and spread like wildfire. 
Because as you continue to read and you move past this letter and past this church, man, what took over was nothing but pure revival. So the problem you are living in or facing right now could be a catalyst for a mighty move of God in your life, right? What you're experiencing now could be that catalyst, could be that springboard, could be that launching pad that would take you further and farther than you ever thought before that could spread the gospel like wildfire. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a setback like, oh, why is this happening? But God, what is it that you want to do in me and through me in this moment? I think about Joseph in the Old Testament. Right? So if you're, if you're not familiar with the story, it's found in the book of Genesis. Genesis, the first, the first book of the Bible. And so you have, you have Joseph who, and he, he's got his dad's coat, everything's good, but his brothers are a little mad. Like you, you brag too much, Joseph, and so they come up with this plan, and they're gonna they're gonna kill their brother. But then they couldn't go through with it. Instead of instead of killing him, they 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 sell him into slavery. And then they go back to their father, and it was like, I don't know what happened. And then Joseph, he's gone, right? And then they cover it up with the story. And years later, Joseph is now second in charge in, of Egypt. And he, he had this interpretation of a dream and, and there's gonna be these years of famine. But if, we, if, we're, if we're responsible and Joseph led this, this cause, if we're responsible, we'll have enough food, we'll have enough grain, we'll have enough provision to be able to last during this years of famine. But now it's time for his brothers to come back. He hasn't seen for years, decades even. And now his brothers are in front of them because they've, they've run out. And so they have a lack of, and they find themselves in front of their brother whom they sold. And now it's up to Joseph. Hey, was that a, was that a setback? Or was that a setup for a comeback? Was that, was that for just a time as this? And I don't know how you would handle that situation. I'm sure I got some ideas of how I would handle this situation. <laughs> Yet Joseph handles it in a way that I believe can revolutionize the way we, we would handle this situation. And here's his response in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. He's, he's, he says this, he says, listen, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Right? You intended to harm, but I, I got a different purpose. Even when technology fails, I got a different purpose. Right? Even when the screens go off, it's all good. Why? Because even when life doesn't go the way it's supposed to, it's okay. When, when something goes wrong in your life, you're not like, I got to give up, I got to quit. You don't have to quit. You don't have to give up. Because what the enemy meant for harm, God can use for what? Good. He can use it for our good. Because that's the business he works in. It's who he is. And so you wanna have a new perspective through your pain? Understand that maybe this is just an opportunity for you to have an amazing comeback. That God is not done with you yet and he's got plenty more left for you. You know, as we close, I wanna, I wanna share something beautiful that happened at the first service something we didn't plan for, just like this morning, something we didn't plan for. But as I was up here sharing and preaching the Word of God, I looked to my left, and about three-quarters of the way, 
in the back of the middle section, I saw somebody that shared the same bloodline as me that I hadn't seen since I was a little girl. And do you remember earlier when I said that just like you, we bear the weight of other people's mistakes on our lives? It's a great reference to me being a little girl growing up in a home that was surrounded by drugs and alcohol with a biological father who cared more about his addiction than he did at raising a child. And so that cousin of mine who came this morning, who I looked back and my heart fluttered a little bit because he looks just like my uncle, even though I hadn't seen him, I knew who he was. And he came in today and watched a little girl who the world separated from him, where sickness and disease and alcoholism and, and drugs and the outcomes and the fruit of that could have kept distance for the rest of our lives. And yet in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of walking through a dark life, we choose joy, we choose God, or we could stay in that life. For my cousin, he got out of that life. He was raised around my dad, kicking it, hanging out with my dad, chose instead to lead a recovery group instead of being involved in drugs and alcohol. Chose to be here today to support his cousin who we happened to find each other on social media. I had no idea he would be here. And on a day when we're talking about what God can do in our darkest hour, how if we remain faithful to him, that God will bring the pieces together. He restored and he reunited and he brought together a little girl who is no longer even shares the same last name as him because she was adopted by a man who chose to love her. But she brought him back to somebody so that together we can continue to advance the gospel so that the world wouldn't have the final say over our relationship. The world wouldn't have the final say whether or not I ever got to talk to my cousin again who I hadn't seen since a small elementary school girl. God is going to have his way. He will have his way every time, every way. We have to be willing to surrender and submit to him. It's got to be about him. It cannot be about what is happening right here and right now because many of you have been around long enough to know that in the midst of the right here and a right now, it is crippling without our eyes on Jesus. And not that the pain goes away and not that it feels great in the moment, but there is hope and perseverance and there is hope in knowing that the victory truly is his that when we sing lyrics, we know that they're more than words on a screen because he's proven that they're true. He is victorious. And because of him, we are victorious. And so this morning, you might be in the midst of a setback. You might be here being like, what is the next step I need to take? Because this ain't it. This is not it. In that season, can you still be thankful? Will you still rejoice? Will you still choose Jesus? Will you press on, get scrappy, and fight in the power of the Holy Spirit? Not fight physically, not fight with your emotions, not fight with your words, not fight being passive-aggressive or aggressive. Fight in the spiritual, through prayer, through warfare, and battling it out, and knowing that God is working it out in your life. And there are some of you I know that are sitting in this room who feel hopeless. 
Maybe you even feel like the pain you're walking through right now is your fault. That if somehow, and this is the world's mentality, we're big enough and bold enough that we could mess up God's plan, can I assure you that is not how God works? None of us are too big that we can out, outdo what he has in line for us. None of us in this room are capable of being outside of the love of Jesus. He has already proven that he does not come into our lives and he did not send his son so that he can continually punish us. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter the mistakes that you make, God is enough, always enough, forever enough, more than enough. Every time. Every circumstance. And if you believe anything different, let me assure you that we know that God is love. And the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief likes to do this garbage stuff that's happening in this room right now. And quite frankly, and you know, if you know me, you know I'm not super spiritual. There is a battle going on in the lives and the hearts of some of you in this room. And if they're still joining us online, maybe them too, but I doubt it. God wants to break the chains in your life. God wants to continue to press in to you and continue to fall after you and run after you and pursue you. Will you do the same? Would you run after him? Would you accept his love, his grace, his peace, his mercy? Because he came to give life and life to the full. And so today you might be like, okay, so what does that look like? Kind of leads back to a couple points ago. Can we just take a few minutes in the silence with no beautiful background music, no worship team coming up, no fanfare? Can you take a moment and bow your head with me? Say, God, what now? What now? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to give up? What can I learn in this moment? Because our what is going to lead us to victory. Take these next few moments and just listen for the voice of God.